the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. The book of Isaiah is a huge warning label. Isaiah is warning the people of the southern territory of Israel called Judah to get their act together. And he's warning them, if you don't turn to God, and if you don't get right with God, destruction's going to come. He warns them, destruction's going to come. On the other hand, he also says, but if you turn to him and repent, it'll go well with you. Do you ever pay attention to warning labels? Yeah, sometimes they state the obvious, like stovetop may be hot, use caution. Duh. Well, it may be obvious to some of us, but there's a reason they put it there. Sometimes you need to be warned before you get burnt. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us about the warning that God gave to his people through his prophet Isaiah. It's not like they didn't know already, but God in His mercy and desire to spare His people from pain warned them anyway. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah chapter 1 as he begins his message, Let's Reason Together. Isaiah chapter 1 is where we are today. Let me give a little brief background and then we'll jump into the first few chapters here of the book of Isaiah. Uh, We move now in our Bibles to the section called the prophets. The last 17 books of the Old Testament are the prophets. There are 17 prophets making up the last 17 books of the Bible. Five are considered major prophets, 12 are considered minor prophets. Now, don't, don't think in terms of baseball, like major league, minor league, like some prophets are really important and other ones didn't really make the A-team, you know. This is about length of their writings. So the major prophets are the ones who wrote more, the minor prophets, those who wrote less, but they're just as important. Isaiah is considered a major prophet because he wrote 66 chapters, as you will notice in your Bibles. So he's considered one of the major prophets. Every prophet of Scripture was about foretelling and foretelling. Sometimes when we hear the word prophet, we think always future tense, like they're talking about the future, and that did include much of what the prophets had to say, but a lot of it was also foretelling, proclaiming in their day what God was saying. Isaiah is doing both. He's foretelling, he's telling the people of his own day what's important to hear from God, but he's also prophetically speaking about future events. We'll notice through the book of Isaiah as we make our way 
way through it over the next several weeks, that even though he writes 700 years before Christ, he's going to talk about John the Baptist, he's going to talk about Christ's birth, he's going to talk about Christ's suffering, Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, his second coming, and the millennial kingdom. So a lot in the book of Isaiah related to future events that haven't even yet transpired in our own day. Every Old Testament prophet, with the exception of Elijah, Elijah only spoke to his own generation, but every other Old Testament prophet spoke both to their generation and foretelling for future generations, and Isaiah is such a prophet. Now, let me tell you a little bit about his personal life. His personal life, we know from chapter 8, verse 3, that he was married to a prophetess, an unnamed prophetess, and that together they had two sons. Because when you take a prophet and join with another prophet, you get a little prophet. (laughs) It's just some humor, folks. Go with me. So they had two little prophets uh, running around the house. And uh, Isaiah's name in Hebrew, his name in Hebrew is Yeshayah, and Yeshayah means the Lord has saved. His ministry and the book of Isaiah fits within your Old Testament because from this point forward, as we go through the rest of the Old Testament in our Bibles, every prophet fits somewhere else earlier in your Bibles. So the Bible is not in chronological order necessarily. Isaiah fits back between, you can write this in the margin of your Bible, 2 Kings 15 through 20. So when you're reading your Bibles in 2 Kings 15 through 20, that's the time period during which Isaiah ministers and prophesies. He prophesies during the reigns of four kings who are mentioned in chapter 1, verse 1. We'll see their names in just a moment when I read. But that gives us the timeline of his ministry based on when those four kings reigned in Israel. So that tells us that his ministry spanned about 40 years from the years roughly 740 B.C. to 700 B.C. So that's the background. Uh, Let me read now from chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 1, verse 1, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos saw during the reigns of, here are the kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Let's pause there and pray. Father in heaven, as we draw near to You now, we thank You for Your promise that as we draw near to You, You draw near to us. So, Lord, minister Your Word to our hearts today. We're thankful, we're uh, so privileged, Lord, to be in your house, to worship together. Many places around the world don't have the luxury of worshiping you openly and publicly. So thank you, Lord, for the privilege of living in our country, all of our elected leaders, Lord, and we just thank you for the privilege of gathering here together in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. One of the things that I, just because I, you know, have one of those kind of twisted sense of humors, I just love uh, every year they publish a list of wacky warning labels 
on various products. I know some of you have seen these labels uh, yourselves. And the reason why companies resort to these kind of just crazy unnecessary labels is to protect them from lawsuits because unfortunately today people are are quick to sue and so in order to protect themselves companies put ridiculously uh, painful warning labels on some of their products so here's an example i've got four examples for you you know the the sleep aid nitol so the sleep aid nitol actually comes with a warning may cause drowsiness Do we need to know that? Isn't that the reason that someone would take Nitol? Or take, for example, this product. This is a Vidal Sassoon hair dryer. It says this. It warns on the box, do not use while sleeping. (laughs) Who was that person? Uh, Or take this one, for example. This is, I don't know, but I guess we need to have this. On a chainsaw, the warning on a chainsaw, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. Who's going to shake hands with the business end of a chainsaw? I don't know. And is it my imagination or does it look like they've already detached the fingers from this hand to illustrate what could happen to you? Okay, one last one. This is a cocktail napkin at a resort in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And it's a map. The cocktail napkin is, is a map of Hilton Head Island and, and the surrounding vicinity there. It's kind of this ancient map of antiquity of the Hilton Head Island area. And there's this small little warning on the napkin. And the small little warning says this, not for navigation. <laughs> now, at first I looked at this and I thought, how ridiculous. And then as I looked further, I realized it's for the guy who's drinking this. That's why we need that warning. Some guy with a martini is like, hey, look at my napkin. Let's go sailing. (laughs) Now, the reason I share these with you, in addition to my own warped sense of humor, is because when you look at the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is a huge warning label. Isaiah is warning the people of the southern territory of Israel called Judah to get their act together. And he's warning them, if you don't turn to God, and if you don't get right with God, destruction's going to come. He warns them, destruction's going to come. On the other hand, he also says, but if you turn to him and repent, it'll go well with you. Now, friends, this really isn't new information. This is really... This is really the theme of the Bible. I mean, all through Scripture, God talks about, get right with me so it might go well with you. Otherwise, there will be consequences in your life. We see all throughout Scripture, for example, Deuteronomy 4, verse 40. Moses said, keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you. Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah thirty-eight twenty, obey the Lord by doing what I tell you that it will go well with you. Jesus himself said in Luke eleven twenty-eight, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. All through the Bible, we see this theme. Get right with God that it might go well with you. Now, here's the backdrop to Isaiah's story. About 150 years before Isaiah, the kingdom of Israel went through civil war. Following the reign of King Solomon, the third king of Israel, there was civil war in the land of Israel. And the nation became a divided nation. You had the north and you had the south, much like In our own Civil War time period, we had the North and we had the South. You had the same thing happening in Israel. 
And the northern territory of Israel was known by the larger name Israel. The southern territory was known by one of the tribes of the southern territory, Judah, and the capital city was Jerusalem. So Isaiah steps into history at the point when the kingdom has been divided for about 150 years, and he is ministering to that southern territory of Judah. So you see in verse 1 of chapter 1, the names of four kings, those are four kings of the southern territory of Judah. Okay, these are Jews separated from the north because of civil war, still God's people, but Isaiah is predominantly ministering exclusively here to the southern kingdom of Judah. Meanwhile, let me tell you what's going on in the north. In the north, the northern kingdom of Israel is getting shellacked by the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were a powerful, formidable force in their day. The Assyrian Empire, if you look at a map today, took up Iraq and Kuwait down to the Persian Gulf. A little bit also to the east, it took some of what would be Syria today. It took some to the west, took what is today on a map, some of Iran. And that was the Assyrian Empire, mostly Iraq, Kuwait, a little bit of Syria, a little bit of Iran. That's the, the Assyrian Empire. They converge against the northern kingdom of Israel. They besiege, and the Assyrians were a ruthless, savage people. They made the Taliban look like Girl Scouts. The Assyrians would come into a country, into a city, into a village. They would murder the children, they would rape the women, and they would take the men captive. And they would, for sport, literally skin you alive. They would skin the skin off your back and use it as wallpaper in their homes. They would put rings through your nose, and then they would string you together with other people with a rope through your nose rings and then haul you off like fish on a string to Assyria. You know, today you pay for a nose ring. Back in the day it was torture. But anyway, that's the Assyrians. And Isaiah comes to the southern kingdom of Judah and he says, listen, listen. You see what's going on to your brothers and sisters in the north because of their disobedience, their idolatry, their rebellion against God. God has allowed now the Assyrians to come as his rod of discipline. And if you want the same thing to happen to you, then stay on the course you're on. But if you want to get right with God to avoid that, then get right with God. And so he warns them. He says, do you see what is happening to your brothers and sisters to the north? Do you want the same thing to happen to you? So get right with God that it might go well with you. Now, God was merciful to the southern kingdom of Judah. His hand of judgment would be stayed for about another 135 years because they would eventually, they would turn in response to Isaiah's words. Not at first. He's going to have to call them out. He's going to have to preach to them long and hard, 40 long years. Three and a half years of it, chapter 20 tells us he walked around naked because God told him, take off your clothes, walk around naked. You talk about the shock factor. But this was the ministry of Isaiah to a people who were rebellious against God, and he warns them, you, you want to have happen to you what happened to your brothers and sisters in the north? Then turn. Get your life right with God. Humble yourselves. Surrender to his lordship. Honor him. Obey him. Do what he says. And Isaiah said that in his day, this is what Isaiah tells us in Scripture, in his day, there were three types of people. The disobedient, the ignorant, and the defiant, as it relates to God and God's laws. Now, what's the difference between these three? I'll give you an example of the difference. Let's say that 
somebody has in their yard a sign posted, keep off grass, all right? Keep off the grass. You might find that you fit into one of these three categories, so just go with me on this illustration. But the disobedient basically see the sign like, I don't care, and they walk in the grass. The ignorant pretend they don't see the sign and walk in the grass, claim ignorance, and the defiant remove the sign and walk in the grass. Those are the differences. So you had the disobedient, you had the ignorant, you had the defiant, and that's the way the people of Israel were in Isaiah's day toward God and towards his law. Look again here in chapter 1, verse 2. You're going to see the disobedient to God in verse 2. He says, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. In other words, they were willfully, deliberately disobeying God's law. They knew right from wrong. They knew good from evil, but they intentionally chose wrong over right. Well, we see the sign, but I'm just going to do what I want to do. That's the way they were. And Isaiah says they're like children rebelling against their father. They're being disobedient. We see the ignorant mentioned in verse 3. Verse 3, Isaiah says, The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. Now, please understand that they were not ignorant for lack of information. They pled ignorance out of disobedience. Because Isaiah says even the ox knows its master, and the donkey knows how to find its way to the feeding trough. That's what the manger is. Isaiah is saying Judah knows God. They just refuse to obey him, and they plead ignorance. Well, we didn't know. We didn't know. Did you know that ignorance is never a defense for innocence? You can put it to a test. Here, this happens to you. If you ha- I'm not encouraging you this, but if you happen to be going 70 in a 55 and you get pulled over and you say, I didn't know how fast I was going, it won't matter. You can't plead ignorance because ignorance is not a defense for innocence. Criminal intent is prosecuted in a court of law today in our land. On the basis of, you lawyers love this phraseology, on the basis of whether you knew or should have known. Whether you knew or should have known. You can't claim ignorance. Now, it might be the difference between recklessness and negligence, but it is still able to be prosecuted when one says, I didn't know, because it could be that you should have known. And that's what God is saying here about Judah. You should have known me. You should have known my laws. You were aware of that. You didn't lack for information. You pled ignorance as a matter of your defense, but ignorance is never a defense for innocence. And the last group we see here, the defiant toward God in verse 4, he says, Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have, notice the words, they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Isaiah says here, the people have forsaken God. In other words, they have left him. They've abandoned him. He says they have spurned the Holy One of Israel. Some translations say they've provoked God or they've despised God. In other words, they've antagonized him. And they have turned their backs on him. When you turn your back to someone, if they're speaking to you, what is that a statement of? Rejection. I don't want to listen to you. I reject you. That's what they've done in relation to God. So all three of these groups, the disobedient, the ignorant, the defiant, they're all guilty before God. And we're going to see here in the first few chapters four quick things about what they did wrong. Now, let me tell you in advance, as we're going to look at these four things, just a quick survey of the first few chapters of Isaiah, what did the disobedient, ignorant, and defiant do? 
that was so wrong. We're going to look at four quick things, and I want you to notice with me, first of all, how eerily similar their day was to our own. I mean, again, this is like 700 B.C., so we're a couple thousand years removed, and yet it is eerily similar, some of the things that Isaiah says about the condition of the culture of Judah, 700 B.C., as it is for us today. The other thing I want you to bear in mind as we look at these four quick things is that this is going to be really dark at first. You're going to believe, wow, this is sad, this is terrible, this is tragic. But, you know, take heart because by the end, hang in there, there's a remedy that Isaiah also offers not only to the people of his day but to us as well. So here's the first thing. In chapter 1, if you still have your Bibles open at chapter 1, look at verse 10 through 13. This is what it says. In verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, pause for a moment. Isaiah is comparing Judah to Sodom and Gomorrah in their rebellion against God. He's not prophesying literally to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's been destroyed since the book of Genesis. But he's saying, you're like unto them. Verse 11, how so? The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies." Here's the first thing that Isaiah says about the people, that they practiced religion without a real heart for God. They practiced religion without a real heart for God. Now, you look at this list here, and you might think to yourself, well, wait, I thought God required them to bring sacrifices and offerings and to celebrate the new moon festivals and the feast and all these things. And he did. But the difference is, and the reason he's pointing this out, is because they were just going through the motions without the emotion. They were practicing religious duty, but there was a disconnect with the heart. They were just going through the rituals with no real heartfelt intent behind it. So God calls them out on it. He says, I know what you're doing. There's a lot of, you know, religiosity here. There's a lot of spiritualism. You're going through the rituals. You're going through all the routines. You're practicing the feasts, the festivals. Okay, but this is evil in my sight because you're not connected to me with your hearts. Now, Isaiah would later say something about this similarly in chapter 29, verse 13, when he would say this, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus would even quote that verse in Matthew 15, verse 8, and apply it to his own generation. Jesus said, a lot of people who are doing a lot of religious things, but their hearts are far from me. And I think to myself, if Jesus walked among us today, Would he say the same thing about us, about our day, about our generation? A lot of people talk about God, but are they really connected to him? Is it a heartfelt relationship? There's a lot, I think you would agree with me in our culture, there's a lot of what I call God speak, a lot of religious talk, people mentioning God, talking about Jesus. You know, you can, you can turn on the television, you can see a lot of entertainers, celebrities, athletes, you can hear a lot of people, and not just on television, you can hear in conversation in the workplace, people talking about, you know, dropping Jesus' name, and sometimes as an expletive, and sometimes because they have a relationship with him, no doubt. 
But I wonder in our day, when I hear somebody drop Jesus' name, I wonder what Jesus are they talking about? Are they talking about Jehovah's Witness Jesus? Are they talking about Mormon Jesus? Are they talking about the Muslim Jesus? Are they talking about the feel-good Jesus? Are they talking about the get-me-out-of-a-bind Jesus? Or are they talking about the Jesus of the Bible? Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was a man who lived during many kings' reigns. Perhaps the most well-known king during Isaiah's time was Hezekiah. Isaiah offered counsel and wisdom God had given him, encouraging these kings to continue following God. Some of them did, and others followed their own ways or the people's ways more than God's. Isn't it easy to slip into what the world around you is doing or saying, giving into their ways and rituals? This was the case then, and it's the case now. But what we can learn from Isaiah is that God can use people to speak truth. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can speak truth to one another? Here at Cornerstone Chapel, we get together each Sunday and Wednesday to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. It's a powerful time for us to learn together and fellowship together. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Find service times and directions by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks so much for listening and learning in the book of Isaiah on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.